people consider leadership as, as this top-down thing, but I think it's more important to consider it as a bottom-up. You know, what do you think? You know, kind of turning things back to your team and saying, what do you think about this? I need your input. I need to know, you know, what you feel about, you know, this decision, or what you think about this decision, because none of us is as smart as all of us. And also, people have a hell of a lot more buy-in when they have put their opinion in, right? People embrace the things that they help create. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord. Welcome to the Beyond Speaking podcast. Our, our guest today is Robin Benincasa. She's a world champion adventure racer, a San Diego City firefighter, and even a CNN hero. So she definitely knows a thing about how winning works and how we build world-class teams that succeed against the toughest odds. And she's a speaker that we have worked with for a long time. We're just talking about how this is, we're like 10 years between interviews. So Robin, thank you so much for coming back on. Yay, thank you for inviting me to the podcast and to your big party. I love working with you guys. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, yeah, well, it's great to have you. Well, one thing people wanna know, like how did you get into adventure racing? Oh gosh, adventure racing. Um, well, I was doing uh, Ironman, you know, kind of triathlons for a long time. And I discovered that the longer or gnarlier the race was, like the hotter it was or the hillier it was, like the more competitive I was. So I was kind of on the hunt to find like the silliest, dumbest, longest, <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> thing I possibly could. And I read about um, adventure racing in Runner's World uh, magazine back in the day and ended up at a tryout at Mark Burnett's house of all places since he was one of the first people to ever do, one of the first Americans to ever do an adventure race. They were looking for a woman to be on their team. I ended up at his house in Tobanga Canyon. We had this huge tryout, yada, yada, yada. Um, we actually ended up racing against Mark's team as an all-female team in Borneo, in, in the Borneo rainforest, in a big race called the Raid Galois, and I was, you know, totally hooked. And <laughs> so it was 17, 18 years of, you know, doing these seven to ten day non-stop team-based ultra-endurance event where you had to stay together with your teammates the entire time. And, you know, boy, you know, did we learn a whole heck of a lot about <laughs> building a world-class team. Because in the rules, if you lost one person on your team, your entire team was disqualified. Mm. So we had to find a way to keep each other inspired every step of the way and to care about each other almost more than we cared about ourselves. Because that was the key to success. And that's actually a lot of what my presentation is based on, how we build those world-class teams. Now, which were, were you an adventure racer first or a firefighter first? It kind of happened simultaneously, almost. <laughs> um, I was an adventure racer, uh, gosh, starting in our year of the Lord, 1994, was my first <laughs> big adventure race. And I became a firefighter in 99, so it wasn't totally simultaneous. But I won, we won our first world championships the year that I became a firefighter. So that's why I remember the converging of the worlds, you know, happening all at once. You know, it was actually really embarrassing because I was in the fire academy and on the first week of the fire academy, I was on the front page of the newspaper as a world champion adventure racer, and that didn't go over too well with the chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> too much pressure there. Now, which, which are you better at doing, being an adventure racer or a firefighter? I think I'm probably a better adventure racer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an okay firefighter, but you know what? The, the thing that I love the most about it is, is the teamwork. Like everything I'm attracted to in my life now has to do with, you know, surrounding yourself by amazing people who have different skills and backgrounds, strength and experience, and they operate genuinely, 
you know, as a team and people lead with their strengths. You know, they ask for help when they have challenges. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you have that kind of culture, you know, it doesn't matter if it's firefighting, adventure racing, you know, running a corporation, when you have that kind of culture, you know, there's really the sky's the limit in terms of what you can accomplish. So if you were to start a team from scratch to have a great culture, what would you do? Um, I would first, obviously you need to bring the right people on board, you know, in terms of their background and skills and strengths. But when I chose teammates, it was equal parts background and skill and strength and experience, as well as are they people that can, that can think as we? Like, do they have that deep understanding? Like, if I wanna go fast, I can go alone, but if I wanna go far, we all have to go together. Mm -hmm. And sharing your strengths, but also sharing your challenges with each other. And so when I chose teammates, yes, it was important that they had the right skills, that was just the price of admission. But the most important thing was, do you care about these other people as much as you care about yourself? And are you willing to, when you feel good, are you willing to help somebody else out when you feel strong? And most importantly, when you don't feel so great and when you need help, are you the person that didn't leave your ego at the start line and won't allow anybody to take your pack? You know, or you won't accept help from somebody because that's the worst case scenario is someone that won't give up their, their weight you know, and won't accept help from people and then they end up holding the team back. So as, as I kind of grew, especially in the sport of adventure racing, but also you know, in, my, in my business life as well, I was in, in sales for you know, hospital supply and pharmaceuticals back in the day. But you know, as I sort of grew in my, in my career as a team builder, it became just as important to have the right teammate, you know, someone who understood how to create that kind of culture, you know, than just their background and skills. Because a lot of things you can teach to people, but it has to be something deep in their soul that they genuinely and deeply want to share their strengths and share their challenges with, with another group of human beings in pursuit of a huge, hairy, audacious goal. That's one of the things too, that you know, a lot of times, just like you, you can sometimes build a team from scratch. How is it different building culture when you're kind of dropped into a team that's already existing? Yeah, that's part of what makes life interesting. Um, well, here's how, kind of a, it's about how do we create that ownership, right? That ownership and that buy-in. And so first of all, you can hire the right people, but also if you're on a team already with a bunch of people, there's a number of ways to get them fired up and get them to become we thinkers and to own the outcomes. And one of them is finding out what the why is for everybody on the team. Um, why are they there? It's not always about money. Sometimes they want you to be a mentor. Sometimes they, it's about, I want to take my husband or wife on this amazing 20th anniversary vacation. Or, you know, because the why is different for everyone. So if you can get everyone their why and find out what that is on an individual basis, you know, you get a heck of a lot more buy-in um, to the outcomes. Also, letting people lead with their strengths. You know, it's incumbent upon you as a leader to find out what every single person on your team is wonderful at, is great at, and put them out in front and let them lead. It doesn't matter if they've been on the job for a week or if they've been there, you know, for a lifetime. Sometimes the newest person brings the most interesting and unique background and perspective, and you got to let them lead. You put them out front and let them lead with their strengths. And also asking for people's input, because I think sometimes people consider leadership as, as this top-down thing, but I think it's more important to consider it as a bottom-up. You know, what do you think? You know, kind of turning things back to your team and saying, what do you think about this? I need your input. I need to know, you know, what you feel about, you know, this decision or what you think about this decision because none of us is as smart as all of us. And also people have a hell of a lot more buy-in when they have put their opinion in, right? People embrace the things that they help create.
Yeah, I love that. And and you have a lot of different, uh, you know, sort of elements of success, you know, the eight essential elements that you and your teammates discovered. Um, what are those and how do you use them to create success? We kind of discovered these these eight essential elements um, <laughs> in, in, a, in a hard way during these crazy adventure races. But um, I actually kind of came up with these eight essential elements when I was asked to speak at a reader conference for Fast Company magazine. Um, they actually did an article about our adventure racing team after we won our first world championships. And it was not just our adventure racing team, but their article was called Extreme Teamwork. And they took a look at the world's most consistently high-performing teams to take a look at what they could learn from us. And it was our team and a team from Industrial Light and Magic and a team from NASA. And it was really a cool article you know, about what we could glean from these consistently high-performing teams and apply to business. And so they asked um, somebody from our team to speak at a reader conference because the article was so popular. And I, I drew the short straw. <laughs> <laughs> they, made, they made me do it because it rolled downhill onto me. None of us wanted to do it. We were too scared. And, um, and right before the presentation, I started writing down, like, what is it that made our team so successful, you know, consistently, you know, over the years. And I started writing it down. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is nearly an acronym for teamwork. <laughs> and, and I made it work. So it was really pretty cool. So what was uh, the letter that you had to change? Uh, the K. The K. <laughs> <laughs> so it's total commitment, you know, to the finish line, empathy and awareness, you know, of one another, that human connection, adversity management skills, um, mutual respect, you know, we thinking versus me thinking, ownership of the project, relinquishment of ego, uh, and kinetic leadership, you know, meaning leadership that constantly flows and changes, you know, from, from style to who the leader is. Now, you've been on a lot of teams. What are the ones that are the easiest to implement and what are the ones that are generally the hardest to implement out of those? Some of the easiest to implement are that, that human connection, you know, that empathy and awareness of one another. I think everyone wants to connect. Everyone wants to be the person with the big heart. I mean, I think that's wonderful. Um, a lot of people can have that mutual respect for one another. I think the hardest thing, actually, and I think a lot of people would say, oh, no, I'm really great at this. <laughs> but they're not. <laughs> and it's, it's leaving your ego at the start line. It's relinquishment of ego. I think a lot of people think that they're capable of it, but at the end of the day, when it comes to, um, you know, kind of giving away the credit or asking for help, um, you know, people feel really uncomfortable with that. But that's, again, as a leader about the culture that you create. You know, when you create that world where you say, you know what, when you work with my team, we don't care who gets the credit. You know, we only care about our customers or the people we serve getting the results. You know, and on this team, we're going to genuinely and deeply value all the background and skills and strength and experience and culture we all bring because it's that diversity of background and experience that makes us great. You know, and on this team, we're always going to find a way to capitalize on each other's strengths, you know, and carry each other when the going gets tough. You know, when you create that environment, you know, as a leader, there's there's really no finish line that's too far away. Now, I'll show you a shot of me leaving my ego at the start line right here. <laughs> this really amuses me. Uh, this is in a big race called the Primal Quest. And this is a perfect example of, of you know, what happens when you leave your ego. Uh, right before the, the gun went off at the start line, it started with a 100-mile run. Um, the race director did a little plot twist, and he brought each team a horse. And he said, this is now your fifth teammate for this first 100-mile run of the race. And you're allowed to put 250 pounds on the horse. So all the other top-ranked teams quickly rigged all their backpacks onto the horse and started running. And my team made the executive decision to put two packs and me 
<laughs> and so there I am, I'm the only goober at the front of the race riding a horse. You know, but for us, this was just great strategy because I was a crappy runner off the start line and that was totally okay with me. <laughs> but also from up there, you know, I could navigate better, you know, so we didn't get lost. I could make sure my team had enough to eat and drink so they finished that section healthier and stronger than a lot of the other teams. And we were also able to reserve me for my real strength, which was, you know, mountain biking sections, the paddling sections later in the race and in the heat, you know, which led to another moment, you know, in the race where um, I was able to help my teammate get to the next checkpoint. You know, he has his arm around my shoulder. I was literally the strongest person on the team at the moment because everyone else was suffering in the heat. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's just, how, that's just how great teams roll. You know, you gotta leave your ego at the start line and realize that, that your ego shouldn't be wrapped around your personal success. Your ego, it's okay to have one, but it should be wrapped around your team's success. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, and I also like just the innovation of that. Like you, everyone else did it, had this advantage, but they all used it differently than you did. Um, tell me about, you know, another time maybe that you used innovation, just did something completely differently and just really, you know, changed things up. Oh, gosh, we were uh, we were kind of famous for for doing that all the time. Like we were the <laughs> team that was always, you know, thinking out of the box and operating in the white space, um, you know, and kind of having that mindset of continuous improvement. And it kind of started with my buddy, Steve Gurney, who he's a New Zealander, like truly amazing, amazingly gifted innovator. And kind of the way we won the world championships, I'll give you one example, is on day seven of, of what was 10 days for the win in the big world championships in Ecuador, we got to the final section of the race and it was three days downriver to the finish line. And it started with each team in a whitewater raft. Then we went to inflatable canoes and then we went to kayaks to the finish line. And when we got done with the whitewater rafting section, we were literally neck and neck with our, with our nemesis, uh, the top French team, Team Intersport, which is kind of funny because we had a really funny, like friendly relationship with them. Uh, but we were always at the front of the pack together, you know, duking it out. And when we got to the final transition area before the canoeing section, the race director took away each team's whitewater raft. We came in together and they handed each of our two teams two inflatable canoes. So our competitors grabbed their canoe paddles they were given, they jumped in their canoes and they were gone down the river, you know, like most teams were. But Steve had a whole different idea of what we were gonna do here. He turned to all of us and said, hey guys, hold up, I got an idea. I wanna get our climbing rope out of our gearbox, the rope that we just used for the big mountaineering section. And I wanna actually tie our two boats together which had never been done before. He wanted to tie our two boats together end to end using our climbing rope through all the D-rings on the outside of both boats. So he could make one big long boat, you know, that we could paddle together. And then he said, and why are we mentally stuck using canoe paddles just because these boats came with canoe paddles? You know, we're a much stronger <laughs> kayaking team. We have our kayak paddles in our gearbox for the next section of the course anyway. But nobody had ever thought to use kayak paddles in these canoes before. So we just got out our kayak paddles because that was our strength and we made them longer to fit on the edges of the canoes instead of using the canoe paddles. And between those two things, you know, tying our boats together and switching out the paddles, we ended up creating what we called the Steve Gurney missile. <laughs> and we put it on the water 40 minutes behind our competitors and I was totally freaking out and it was a big risk. You know, but sometimes with big risk comes big reward. Do you wanna actually see what happens? Yeah, yeah, let's check it out. Okay, stand by, this is about a one minute video. You'll, you'll love this. Yeah, 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 let's see it. they head into the raging whitewater of the Rio Tawachi River. 
teams Bebop and Yo launches first. 13 minutes behind the leaders, Solomon Presidio heads down river. Solomon Presidio charges forward, determined to catch the leaders before the transition to the sea kayaks. Team Solomon Presidio pulls up on the beach at Same. They will soon become the first American team ever to win an international adventure race. Too much too long. Oh, yeah, Ruben, you're an awesome woman. You've got us to the top of the mountain. This is a moment they will never forget. But the moment has lasted nine days. Well, I love it. It's so much fun. It's so great to, to show that to people because their <laughs> brains are like, you know, wow. I mean, it's simple, but we were literally going twice their speed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we kind of took the tools that we were given and just used them completely differently. And, you know, and Steve, especially, and our team, you know, did this over and over and over again. But really, it's a cool story. But the point is, you know, about how do you create your own Steve Gurney missile, you know, in your own life? Because it starts with taking your core strengths and your talents and your background and experience and your creativity and your agility and then your amazing resources and your great teammates and saying, you know what, I'm not just going to find a way to tilt the game board, you know, in my company's favor or my team's favor. You know, I'm going to find a way to totally change the game, you know, or change the way the game is played. Yeah, you know, we I love that. We neck with them and we couldn't shake them for eight days. And the last day of the race, we put two hours on them with the Steve Gurney missile. Wow. And that moment, really, when somebody said, hey, gang, what if we focus on what it takes to win versus simply not lose? Wow, I love it. That's amazing, too. And the other teams, I guess maybe they couldn't even adapt. By that point, they're too far down the river. They couldn't copy, you know, uh, what you were doing. So that's, that's pretty amazing. No, they had no more access to their stuff. They had to, they had to just work with what they were given. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. Well, you know, some of the things you do, like obviously you've been a firefighter, you're an adventure racer, um, but you've also been a CNN hero and, you know, launched the, you know, Project Athena Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about that too? Okay, so kind of how Project Athena started was I started out on a mission to, to turn my own setbacks into comebacks. And um, I've had six hip replacements. It's a big, long story. But, <laughs> but after my first one, I decided to focus on what I could do instead of what I couldn't do. And so I became an ultra endurance paddler. Um, you know, because I knew I could sit in a boat. I couldn't walk, but I could sit in a boat, you know, and paddle for long, silly hours. And so I turned my own setback into a different kind of comeback, and I became a really competitive endurance paddler. So. I thought, well, maybe I can do this for other people. Maybe I can help other people turn setbacks into big comebacks. And the idea occurred to me one day that what if I took my background and skills and strength and experience in adventure and helped survivors live an adventurous dream as part of their recovery, you know, to help them create their big comeback story. So that was back in 2009, and we have been doing these ultra endurance adventures ever since for survivors. And it started out being female survivors um, of medical or traumatic setbacks. And we don't really define what the setback is. At first, it kind of started out as like breast cancer survivors, you know, but so many people wrote to us over the years with all kinds of different things, you know, happening in their lives from PTSD to domestic violence, to amputations, to comb, like every, you know, so many things happen in people's lives and they just need this big opportunity to show themselves and their families how strong and amazing they are. 
So we have now um, five annual ultra endurance adventures. And we don't only take survivors, we also take um, volunteers, you know, <laughs> who we call our gods and goddesses. So we take <laughs> Athenas and Zeuses, who are our survivors, men and women, and then gods and goddesses um, who are our volunteers. And we all do the adventure together as one big team. So it's a really cool way to actually live, you know, if you see my presentation, to actually live that teamwork that you saw in the presentation, because we literally tow each other, we literally carry each other's pack, you know, we constantly move weight around so that we're suffering equally, <laughs> which is something that we always did in adventure races. If we were suffering equally, we knew we were the fastest team on the course. So we're always moving weight around, literally towing each other, singing each other's songs, um, kind of whatever it takes to get each other to the finish line. And it's really, really cool to have someone kind of leave their home as the family's sick person, you know, and to have them return five or six days later as the family's badass endurance athlete. <laughs> it's the coolest thing. And so we train everybody for four to five months, you know, so it's kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we make sure everyone, you know, gets to the start line with that baseline of training. And then we all create that culture together where we're literally one heart and one mind as we go from one place to the other. So our annual endurance adventures, if you want to come with us, are um, we hike all the way across the Grand Canyon in one day, rim to rim, and then we go back the next day. So we actually do rim to rim to rim. Um, <laughs> we do a uh, kayak and bike ride from Key Largo to Key West over three days. We do a 45 mile hike all the way across uh, Zion National Park. Mm. And uh, I'm creating an adventure in Sedona for next year. It might be a 24 hours of Sedona type adventure. Um, but it really is a cool way to, you know, help not only survivors, but just anyone, you know, kind of realize how strong and amazing they are. And we do it together every step of the way. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. And just giving, you know, taking what you've already done to become so successful and passing it on to others. I, I absolutely love it. Well, Robin, thank you so much for being a guest here on the Beyond Speaking podcast. And for those, definitely check out Robin uh, on our site on nationalspeakers.com, premierspeakers.com, and uh, make sure to uh, subscribe, follow, and uh, comment. So, Robin, thank you again so much for being a guest for, with us here. Thank you, my friend. You rock. Maybe you'll come <laughs> with us on an adventure. I know. It sounds awesome. I, I love the, the Zion and just, you know, even rim to rim to rim sounds amazing. So, I, yes, I appreciate you're an endurance athlete. I know people out there may not know that. Brian is a super stud endurance athlete. I'm no Robin Benincasa, that's for sure. Even six hips behind, I still could not keep up with you. So that's, uh, <laughs> but I appreciate it. I will see you in the canyon, my friend. Great. Thanks, Robin. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. To learn more about today's guests, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.